Hey guys, thanks for spending your quarantine time with us here at the Collector's Quest podcast. This is episode 142, and we're going to be talking about organic collectibles, where something naturally becomes a collectible over time, versus manufactured collectibles, where a company is like, we're going to make a thousand of these, now it's a collectible. And I just spent four hours editing the show, and I'm so done with it, so let's just start. to another episode of Collector's Quest. I'm Tyler, here with Johnny and Stefan. What's going on, guys? Again, like usual, this is the first time we started the show. We just jumped on Skype and hit record. This is it. I don't think... We definitely I've... haven't... Well, I was going to say, we haven't been recording for 15 minutes, for sure. I was just thinking about it, and I don't think... Like, we have re-recorded botched intros, and, and at first I was thinking, okay, this is, like, the record for the longest. But I think that one time where we were, like... Were we all traveling and we came back and we were just, all three of us were just hot messes and couldn't think and it was just awful? So there was an episode where I remember we were like a solid 20 minutes into the show yeah. and we were all just like, guys, this show is really bad and not yeah, entertaining. Just, so yeah. uh, we just started the show over and then it was really weird because we had to talk about all the things we just talked about over again. But I can, I, I can confirm to our listeners that we didn't even get close to our topic, so none of that will be happening on this episode. That's right. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, we weren't anywhere by topics. Uh, yes, no. Yeah, we were just talking about coronavirus and, and not wearing pants. And I just want to say that because I like saying coronavirus so we get demonetized on YouTube. But we're not on YouTube we're and we don't get monetized, so it doesn't matter. I could say coronavirus as much as I want. The the one thing that we, we did uh, that was nice in the, in the previous thing was uh, you, the bit Stefan opened up with when he was asking about your family. I thought we should re-include that. Like, so that's... People would like to hear that. Just just hear about how my family's doing. So Stefan and my mom are very close now since the wedding. They're best friends. That's not untrue. I like your mom a lot. I, I'm going to I'm gonna tell her. Your mom's great. I'm going to tell her that you asked how she is, and she's going to feel like she's your best friend. You know, she's listening to the show, so she's just going to get it off the show, and it's going to be great. Uh, my parents are currently doing okay. Both of them do work in healthcare. My mom's a pharmacist, and my dad's a, a pharmaceutical director at a hospital. So... Uh, my dad's hospital is 100% full of corona, uh, corona patients, and my mom deals with people physically tapping her on the shoulder dozens of times a day, asking for things like masks. And all the things they ask for are obviously out of stock in the retail pharmacy she works at. I, I mean, it seems inevitable that they will eventually get the virus unless something happens, but hopefully not, and they're doing good now, so. I'm hoping at a, at a director level, um, can your... Does your dad have to be at the hospital all the time? Like, is he able uh, he to? He does. To he has to go in, and then he comes home, and literally, I'm I'm like FaceTiming with him. I'll have a 30 minute FaceTime, and he'll get like three phone calls from work on the FaceTime. It's uh, seems like a nightmare right now if you're in a hospital. It it's not great, even on this side, because yes, you, know, you guys know Carly is a nurse, and she's in the hospital, you know, four times a week, and it's uh, 
it's not the best. It's not the best right now. Even the even the the telehealth stuff. So my sister is a nurse practitioner, and she is telehealth. So like she, all her patients, she, she works from home, and she interfaces with with patients from their home. In the the idea is that she triages them over the phone so that they don't go and take up hospital resources by like going into the ER for nothing, right? Um, and she said that like she can't. She's so full up with coronavirus cases right now, or like people just you know, fearing that they have the coronavirus that, um, she can't really, uh, treat anything else right now. So it's, uh, even, even, even for the nurses who do get to stay home, it's still a hot mess. Uh, you know, I, we talked about this before, how great, uh, England is before, but, uh, one of my favorite things that I learned is that they have 911, which is just like, oh my God, it's an emergency. Someone's dying. And then they have like a separate number where you can just like talk through your symptoms and someone will tell you if you have to go to the doctor. I forgot the exact, it was like another three digit number. But that seems like another great thing to have in England that we don't have in the U.S. Yeah, not nationalized anyway. I mean, I know like certain like insurance providers or hospitals like, have, I, have yeah, a service I'm sure like I could that. do that with my insurance. I can go to the website, yeah, there, log in, like, and figure out their number. Yeah, because like I, uh, at the start of this, um, I did have a sore throat and shortness of breath, which was concerning. Uh, this is like a month ago now. And they did a, a phone call with me. It turns out I just had strep throat. So that was cool. Just strep throat. So so uh, I guess it's a good time to get into the topic. Um, like we said, we hope everyone's doing well. But Tyler, this is your show today. So tell us what we're talking about. I'm going to say that this is a topic that I would link to viewers of Reserved Investments, of which there are two of on this show. So Stefan, this is also your topic. <laughs> uh, the topic is... Uh, we're talking about organic collectability versus manufactured collectability or manufactured scarcity. Because uh, in terms of value, when you think of collectible things, we say all the time, you know, if it says collector's edition on it, it's not a collectible, which is a, a broad statement. It's often true. It's not always true. There are some very cool uh, collector's editions. But for the most part, subjectively, I will say the best collectibles are the ones that when they came out, no one thought they were going to be a collectible. And uh, want to talk about maybe what you should target or why this is or the different aspects of what makes uh, an organic collectible better than manufactured scarce collectible. I mean, it should be obvious on the face, but we're going to still drag it out to a whole podcast. Yeah, we sure are, because <laughs> Tyler wants to. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Tyler, um, What what are some... If we're going to talk about that organic versus manufactured, what what is, I mean, tell us some of the key components. But what is what would you say is the the number one key? Like what that makes something organic versus manufactured? Uh, I, maybe the defining characteristic of an organic collectible might be that it went through the trough of no value. Um, I'm not sure that's true, but that seems like that might be true. So to bring it up on the show, if you haven't heard it before. Uh, the trough of no value is uh, just imagine a U shape for the price of an item. And uh, the price is high when it's new because something's brand new. And then the price goes much lower once the item is older because now it's used. And then the price hits the bottom of the U when uh, it's considered obsolete. It has really no value to anyone. And then the price stays at essentially zero for a long time and the item is is trash it has no value to anyone think uh you know 
old golden age comic books, uh, you know, or, old NES games, uh, packaging, no. things that people throw out. Think, think of an iPhone 2, like right now, or an iPhone 3. Uh, sure. I, I honestly, with Apple, I have no idea. Well, like that, that, like old cell phone, any old. How about cell a Nintendo phone, right? Wii like game? A, sure. The, just to keep it on topic. Well, you were the one who told me cell phones are considered games. Yeah, I might have bought yeah, something. What was that? We'll uh, maybe talk about it later in oh, the no, show. Oh no, we will definitely yeah. talk about it. I have things to say. I have things to say to you. <laughs> yeah. So none of them nice. At some point after this thing is at essentially zero value. It picks up in popularity for some reason. There's some something that instigates popularity in item again. And since everyone has thrown it out essentially over that period of time, there aren't many copies left. And all like logarithmically, it shoots up in value because there are no copies left. And all of a sudden, there's a ton of demand. And so you could think of uh, Little Samson or Stadium Events. Stadium Events kind of started out with uh, a low population, but like Little Samson, there were a bunch of copies of Little Samson that kind of filtered out to wherever they filtered out and then through youtube primarily it became this super popular uncommon game and the value skyrocketed as opposed to a funko pop where they're like you could only get this at comic-con 2017 and right now maybe there's someone who still cares about comic-con 2017 silver spider-man i'm making that up but, you know, two decades from now, no one's going to care about the specific Comic-Con 2019 Funko Pop. Most likely. Right. Unless it falls in... It, Unless there's something about the that one about in particular, but... Well, that that's the thing about the trough of no value. Most... Uh, you have to travel through the trough of no value and make it out the other side uh, to be a collectible. Most things just go to the bottom and rest there. Right. But also, you know, conversely, a manufactured, a manufactured scarce collectible can also go through the trough of no value and come out the other side as a legitimate collectible, right? Like, yes. it, like, like, let's say, you know, the speculation era comic books, right? This is a really easy example for me. If, uh, like, let's say that the death of Superman, it was at one point and very shortly after its initial print run was like a two, 200, started at like 200 and then like the platinum death got to like into the thousands. It was ridiculous. And now that that book lines dollar bins, right? But... If at some point there's a resurgence in nostalgia or whatever for that issue, or if they make a movie or something uh, revolving around that comic book arc, it is possible that should that comic book then shoot back up in value, then you have something that was manufactured to be scarce that is now an organic collectible, which I think is an interesting phenomenon. I feel like that would be an organic collectible that went through the trough of no value, but it can't be manufactured scarcity because it's they made like hundreds of thousands, probably millions of Death of Superman books, right? Yeah, yeah. No, true. the the better the better is like like Tyler said, if you're talking about like Comic Con limited edition items, right. like I have, uh, for instance, a Comic Con um, Gentle Giant Luke Skywalker with a Stormtrooper outfit bust or something some mini bust because i was at comic-con like how i used to fund my comic-con trip uh back in the day 2010 ish you know i would buy collectibles that i didn't necessarily care about but people wanted them and i had the opportunity to buy them and then i would sell them right um get some of the stuff i wanted and then sell the stuff i didn't and uh this luke bust never sold and it never will or because or it, it is was like 35 dollars and 
just going to sit there at $35 forever. Or it is possible that, you know, as much as we give uh, boutique game manufacturers like Limited Run a hard time, it is possible that some of those manufactured collectibles on some timeline would then become uh, an organic collectible should they, you know, sit in the trough of no value for a while and then organically uh, increase in value. Yeah, it, well, and to to drive, that's the other thing. There needs to be a driver there. Something needs to drive it out of out of the bottom of the U, right? There needs to be some sort of impetus, which is a force of collectors' um, desire. So you, the supply, you know, has to have dipped down, and then suddenly the demand needs to be spiking. Something needs to be driving that demand. With Nintendo games, it was nostalgia, right? Like it is for most collectibles. Some sort of nostalgia. The people of my age, especially for like Ness and a little bit older than me, suddenly were in the workforce, secure, and had disposable income. And then that was driving demand for all these things that just sat there for a while, which then, you know, same for Atari, but Nintendo, because it was such a wide swath of those people, not in the same way that Atari did, it kind of generated video games as a collectible because that, that force of, of individuals who had nostalgia for Nintendo was finally there with enough to, to put enough impact into the hobby to like, to make it a hobby and to drive it out of that trough and uh, into the land of value. Not every game, but, you know, most. And, you know, now it's seen as a, a real collectible. Anyways. What's yeah, also and- interesting, sorry, uh, what, what's also interesting is, is to me is when something, and and uh, the example here I'm giving is, is more organic than manufactured, but how uh, that driver out of the U can sometimes be so temporary that it just drops back in with with certain immediacy. Like I'm, I'm thinking of uh, Adventure for the 2600, when uh when ready player one the movie came out um and uh because it was absolutely no value for a long long time after having you know i'm sure when in the collecting heyday of atari adventure was probably a not zero dollar game or a five dollar game but uh but uh, having been essentially worthless for a long time all of a sudden overnight was like a two to four hundred dollar game uh, and that stayed there for like three weeks uh and then kind of settled back down but uh yeah. Well, I mean, we can talk about the Alamogordo games, yep. right? The what games? Those set, the trash bin games, the like ET, everything that was buried in New Mexico, in a what dump. What did you call them? Alamogordo. It's the city in which they were buried. Do you, do you see, people who listen to the show who aren't on the West Coast probably aren't going to know that. You guys might live down the road from there because I know California is a small place. But please, just you specify. Mean, you mean down the road from New over? Mexico? New Mexico, whatever. New Mexico, which it's borders all the same and, thing, and not California. Los Angeles, and all those names that sound kind of Spanish. It's all you guys know where all wow. those places are. Whoa! <laughs> wow. All right, we're starting this podcast over again. <laughs> wow! Who knew that we'd be invaded Damn by it, Tyler. from Tyler? <laughs> oh I my did God. not see that coming. Yeah! Wow. You know, Johnny, I'm from New York. We pride ourselves on being very tolerant. Oh boy. Yeah. We need to we need to have one of those shows uh where we get the opportunity to take things back that we've said. Uh and that's definitely huh. flagged for that episode. <laughs> yeah. Tyler, it's your apology episode. That's you right. have to say sorry. There are a lot of places in the Southwest with Spanish names. That is yeah. that's a fact. I wonder why. Did you think maybe it's because we border yeah. a giant country and named you guys Mexico and are 
you know geographically where those places are because that's where you live. We have listeners in like Norway. They don't know the dump where the ET games were buried by but name. There, no, there's a it Netflix was in the docu. Yeah, there's a documentary that talks about this <sighs> and says specifically. Yes, the where angry they video were. game nerd movie. No, no, <laughs> no, Tyler. Although yes, right. that does also talk about it. But no, there is an additional documentary about the excavation of that landfill. You have not watched this documentary I and have, call yourself a I have not watched game it. collector? Get, get out. I watched Just... NES Quest. I don't want to get too far off topic. Oh, NES God. Quest is, or any, a Nintendo Quest is one of the worst things I've ever seen. Terrible. Uh, Just an abomination. Also, if you buy one of those games, if you buy it from, because the city actually uh, sold a bunch of those. They took uh, a number of them and kept them for a, for a local museum. If you go to Alamogordo, they have a community museum where there's just a giant f-ing pile of of these games under glass. But uh, but then they did um, they did sell a bunch, and so the, usually the ones you find on the market now, unless someone was there and and like pulled one from the heap, um, then it comes with a certificate that says Alamogordo on it. It's like a certificate from the city. So it's actually, yeah, I was just thinking, I know like, this of course I have you know one. it, because Johnny knew the name of the place, and you have Defender, I think, with a certificate that says it I do. on it. Yep. Uh, Trough of No Value, a game that was buried, and now I think they go for over $100 usually. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> literal, literal trash. Oh, well, well over, well over $100. Um, and it's funny, too, because people are like, well... Well, because I have it in like a, a shadow box where the, the front flap opens. And so they'll go, uh, well, how do you know it was really in, a, in the trash dump? And I just open the box. I'm like, here, smell it. <laughs> <laughs> it is vile. Uh, it is absolutely vile. All right. Well, uh, that's what I would have imagined. And part of the reason I never want to own one. Nice. Uh, it's history. Anyway, we were talking about limited run games and how people might care about those one day and they might spike. I I feel like that's a different thing if there's a, a surge in demand on something that everyone was holding on to from day one and kind of hoping that that would happen. I feel like it's hard to be an entirely organic collectible if everyone who bought it on day one thinks it's going to be a collectible, even if it so increases y- in value, which could totally happen. Like uh, Breath of the Wild Master's Edition what that was like 150 dollars i think and like from day one it was selling for 300 dollars, and it's still selling for 300 dollars. Yeah, it, it was sold out instantly and this is the one with the statue yeah what's uh, that huge what's that huge ridiculous black box. there's that yeah. ridiculous uh big uh wii u one that i think it's is it like a dynasty warriors game or like the hyrule warriors no, you're thi- that was a hyrule, nintendo no, no, store that, exclusive yeah yeah and that's not very big we're talking the this one, the special edition for Breath of the Wild, or the collector's edition, whichever it's called, it's a giant black box because there's three editions. There's yeah. the regular Breath of the Wild. There's the one that came with the case yep. for the Switch. Yep. And then there's the one that came with the giant statue. And it's a, a giant ass box. It's like 18 inches tall and like nine inches wide or something. It's gigantic. It's ridiculous. So, so Tyler, in your opinion, then you're saying that if something was at one point or originally manufactured for scarcity, that it cannot become an organic collectible? Uh, Calling you out. If ever, I don't think so, because if everyone was holding on to it from day one, hoping for that, then from day one, people were thinking of it as a collectible. So I think that's a, a different thing. Same thing with limited run games. Like some of them, you know, might turn out like, oh, you know, this this has 2000 copies 
And, you know, 20 years from now, it becomes a huge franchise or something. And these were the only copies of the original game that were produced. I doubt that's going to happen with probably any limited run game. But uh, if that did happen, there would still be 2000 people. Every single person who bought that game held on to it, knows where it is. Most of them probably kept it sealed. It's a very different thing that happened than a game going through the trough and no value. Everyone kind of stopped caring about it. Copies were lost to time. Copies were thrown out, you know, lost in garage sales and things like that. Right. It's uh, like Street Fighter, the stupid, you know, set your house on fire Street Fighter edition <laughs> that's that they made. 100 percent. That that's the worst case, because not only was it a manufactured scarcity collectible, they manufactured way too many of them. Like, what was it, 7500 yeah. for Street Fighter? Uh, no, I think it was only 5000 for Street Fighter or something. It was lower than like the Mega Man. Yeah, Mega, run, Mega Man is, X oh. was ridiculous. It was so, I think it was 8000 for that game. The the. The thing about that, that's like, and this is like one of the points I wanted to make on the show is when something is manufactured like this and and why games, and this is in general for collecting, why when an economy or a recession hits, why some of these, uh, it's like a problem with the industry. Some of these people will never let it go because they've got it in their idea because this idea of the manufactured collectability of it, that it is a collectible. They attach themselves to that idea. So even in the face of numbers and economic pressure cannot get them they cannot get the idea out of their brain that it's collectible and it should sell for more so that's why you'll see games that are like well i'll just wait it out it'll sit there and still at like 150 dollars though no one has ever paid that price and no one is ever paying that price and you're like you'll see like the Mega Man's. like i can still buy them at the store why would i go and give you more money than i could just give them right right now these people in the face of everything but it's also what kind of <laughs> It's a double-edged sword because in like right now we've got a, we can talk about this a little more like I'm, we'll do when I we do our market segment but games have not dropped maybe as much as you think they would collectibles because people and same when the housing crisis happened in that recession people like uh these are collectible I'm I don't want to sell them for this low so it's only people who were really forced into that crunch sold. And so it lowered the value a little bit, but it didn't totally take the prices because people have uh, done the wrong thing. Like they've emotionally invested there mm. and they can't see that the value has actually been lost. Right. So that's kind of uh, good in some respects for game collecting, but it keeps games sometimes artificially high because uh, that mindset locks in. I felt like that was a pretty convoluted statement. Hope you guys all uh, followed along and took something from that. Sorry. Can, can I can I anecdotally add another thing that I've just been wanting to talk about? It, and I feel like this is the best time that I'm going to get to talk about it. Uh, the Lion King situation uh, with I Am 8-Bit. Oh, so gross. Uh, yeah. So the the Lion King game, I Am 8-Bit did a physical run of, is it, it's Super Nintendo, right? They did a Super Nintendo cartridge? Super Nintendo one? Lion King and then Genesis Aladdin, I think. Right. So if you go to I Am 8-Bit's website, that game is sold out. You cannot buy The Lion King. They did it. They right, sold yeah. out? Yeah. Yep. They, they did sure it? did. They sure did. And that tell Johnny. That ugly copy? But, but, oh. but, but magically, oh. Johnny, if you go to Best Buy's website, they have plenty. Uh, <laughs> weird. What is with Best Buy yeah. buying these limited print game things and selling them themselves? What is Best Buy doing? You know, you know the you know like Doug or whatever from uh, from uh, Limited Run Games called them up because they work with IM8 Bit sometimes. Like you know, oh, that's why because they work together. Yeah, yeah. I one hundred percent think that that that's exactly what happened. They had a glut yeah. of stock 
that they couldn't sell through, uh, and they offered it to Best Buy at pro- but, probably pennies on the dollar. But and that's the thing, right? So Best Buy don't give a f- right. They, when that sits for too long, you'll see them start to slash prices. And so if you wanted that thing, that's I'm waiting for the Mega Mans to finally get there and them to be like, nope, cut the prices, get them out of here. Yeah, they probably already paid paid IMA, but virtually nothing, you know, for them. Right. So this makes so much sense because IMA Bit doesn't want to put their limited edition collectibles on sale because that's obviously a terrible look for anything they would ever sell in the future. And they obviously want it to say sold out. So it gives people fear of missing out that they're going to, oh, you're never going to be able to complete your IMA Bit reissue collection. Right, exactly. Yep. Uh, yeah, I I'm the one who sent you the picture of that Stefan when they were yep. at that put it in the chat. Yeah, I was yeah, like, "Oh, here we it's go." Been, it's been bothering this me. This is and, dirty. And this is this is kind of a good fit for this conversation, so I just wanted to 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 talk yeah, about well, it. Yeah, well, it's actual it's absolutely manufactured uh scarcity and 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 it's taking that scarcity to another level, right? So, because now they're manufacturing the idea that it's scarce. They already tried to tell you and now they're like <laughs> going to other levels to be like, look, see it's sold out. Like they yeah. they're in for the long con here. Yeah, I, like it's uh, I don't want to be like, hey, they're lying to you, but kind of <laughs> um this is actually pretty common um with other kinds of even video game collectibles just alone because uh, what was the uh, Metal Storm? I forgot. Did I Mapa put that out? It was Castlemania games. I know it was like all over the place. It was like limited run games. So everyone said like we have a thousand limited editions, but you add them all up, it was like four thousand limited editions. And if you uh, you could do the same thing with limited run games, you sort their list of games by which ones have the lowest print runs. It'll be like, oh, there's only two thousand copies of this game, but then there were another fifteen hundred limited editions, and the limited edition is just a bigger box around the other edition that has only 2000 copies so they're trying to make their print run seem smaller than they are by splitting them up into different SKUs. right and it's nonsense it is it, the the i hate those special editions especially when they put just the regular switch case in there and they're just like yep there it is and still has the skew on and everything. It doesn't even say like not for resale on it. Yep. I wish they would actually do that so there was Print some a, different an insert art variant, right? How how special would an insert art variant be? Like, oh yeah, I've got the cool version. One of the things that's like the worst about that is between versions, the boxes are sometimes the same too. Like between the Vita version and like the PlayStation oh, version terrible. and the Switch version. So you could just get like if you found the found it cheap you could then one day slot it in because you know a lot of times the switch version will sell out but then they'll like have the playstation version so you can totally manipulate that it's nonsense uh, limited run games does that all the time they just put a sticker on yeah yep. I, I hate that it <laughs> um, so one thing i want to talk about different SKUs, and this is uh pertaining to limited run in particular uh i know i feel like i'm picking on them but so be it um one thing that i just wanted a lot of people don't know know, and this isn't something that the hide they've talked about it before but it's just not widely known and i wanted to point it out that um the way that limited run sets up their contracts with their developers and their publishers is that after the after that first run they are not allowed to do an identical second run but the developers have are well within their rights to manufacture another run as long as they do a cover variant. So I know a lot of people are th- are are the publisher or or developer, depending on who uh, I'm a, or um, limited run is working with, is is contractually within their rights to 
to create additional runs as long as they do a cover variant. So that's just something to know that when people have it in their heads that like, oh, limited run did this game and now I'll never have it physically, know that they could very well see subsequent runs and uh, not only have developers done that previously, but limited run is now doing it. They just did a second a second print run of Psychonauts. Uh, they teamed up with another uh, boutique um, game company. Johnny, help me out here. I don't remember which one it was. I yeah. think it was the same people like, who did strictly Firewatch. Yeah. Was it, um, or wait, maybe it was strictly limited. Yeah. So, anyways, so then they teamed up with another another publisher, uh, boutique publisher, to print a another print run of a game that they originally printed. So I just wanted it to to be known. Again, this isn't something that they hide. Like you can, if you listen to like interviews with with uh, the limited run guys, they do occasionally talk about it. But uh, I just didn't, people have, a lot of people who collect limited run have this like FOMO that they'll never see this game again. And that's not always true. Well, FOMO is their business model. Right. And they they get around they don't get around it but they justify it by saying well only the limited run version says limited run on it and it's like well isn't the whole reason that limited run is supposed to be special that it's the only printing of this game so what does what do I care that it has your logo on it if it's not actually meaning anything well, and, I'm kind of getting off track uh, well, but I mean their whole business model doesn't make any sense anymore since literally everything is a pre-order anyway they're just a game publisher that does low numbers yeah they're bullshit for many reasons like their whole their whole beginning spiel, which I was on board with, is like, we're going to preserve games that got digital releases and never saw physical releases. Yep. Now they're just a repro company doing, Not repro. Uh, you know, sh like, uh, well, no, it, it is when you when you make a new Star Wars game that already exists, it's just a repro of that, right? Like all those Star Wars games are just repros? I would call them reissues, but there's no accepted terminology, uh, I don't think. Yeah. So whatever. Oh, Reissue reproduction it's uh still just a bad edition of a game that's already there it's not even like they put it out on the switch or something they're just like oh you want rebel assault here you go play rebel assault on your pc yeah, here's just a disc we burned like, but yeah. i but i already have that but you uh, get, to, oh, get a tchotchke box with it. It. yeah but now you have our version of it Tyler, just to be clear your distinction between reissue and reproduction is just the legal ability to reproduce it Right. Uh, I was a reissue is like a new edition of a book. Like it'll have a different cover. It'll, but it's the same book. Um, a reproduction, I would say, is a nearly identical copy of the same book. So, like you know, someone has the first Bible ever. I don't even know if that's a thing. But and if you made an exact copy of it, I would call that a reproduction. So, question for you then. So, like, is the greatest hits that like greatest hits version? That's a reissue to you, right? I, I don't care. I would just call it a variant, no, personally. No. And we're uh, not even arguing. Like, no, I know. I would just, call, no, personally no, just yeah. call that a variant. I wouldn't even think of it in terms of being issue. But well, yeah, I would call it, yeah, I guess that would be a reissue. You are the okay, one so, but, You are the one that did a podcast solely on this topic. So we But are, I did it on <laughs> aftermarket games, and uh, Greatest Hits would yeah. come out in this lifespan of the console. So, um, but I, I just wanted to make that point, right? Like, so... Like a greatest hits is not desired because it's not the first one, but somehow limited run comes and does the third printing of it essentially, and and now people are, are hot and bothered for it. That should be the worst one to get. So this is kind of the core. Uh, we, again, we talk about it. This is the core of what I want to get from this episode: is that we have limited money, and 
a lot of times people, the, these companies will make these additions. And besides the fact that they're charging a premium for this new product, uh, in many cases, I think uh, Street Fighter 2 is the perfect example because they were selling Street Fighter 2 for $100 for the fake collectible, essentially. And at the time they were selling it, a sealed copy of Street Fighter 2 on SNES sold for $100. Yet there were still, you know, 5,000 people that chose to buy the fake copy. And I guarantee there are a lot of sealed copies of Street Fighter 2. There probably aren't 5,000 copies of Street Fighter 2. You know, a bona fide real collectible that people could have just easily gone out and bought for $100. Because if a 1,000 people or 5,000 people went and bought that, it would probably shoot up way in price. Uh, so with your limited money, instead of buying, you know, three or four limited run games and, you know, maybe spending $300 on that, you could buy one bona fide real collectible that has already stood the test of time for the stuff that we, we're interested in. It's probably been, you know, decades maybe that it's been a, a desirable uh, collectible game. And I think not just monetarily, but in terms of your collection, you will turn out better every time if you just buy real collectibles with your money instead of stuff like this hey since we're back on uh on street fighter 2 can can we talk about chase carts because i hate them and especially <laughs> i hate how they executed them for the im8 bit product uh so chase carts just like uh blind box action figures and and toys like that it's a super ultra limited version of a thing and you don't know until you open it uh, whether or not you got that chase cart. So in in Street Fighter's uh, case, it's a green, quote-unquote, Blanca-colored cartridge that glows in the dark. Um, it's not Blanca-colored. It's ugly. Yes, it is indeed ugly. But uh, uh, so the thing is, like, that's bad enough. Like, that's okay, that's kind of shitty that you're like, you know, talk about multiple layers of manufactured scarcity. But then the way that you tell whether or not you have a chase cart in this instance you have to unseal the collectible and open the box so in order to see whether or not you have the quote-unquote higher value product you have to take the product and make it a lower value right because honestly how many people were if there were not a chase cart how many people were buying this product to open it i would i would i would wager the number would be very close to zero especially since well, they'll light your house on fire uh, well and because if you want a player's copy of street fighter it was like 15 dollars. Right. if you, you want just go just buy a fucking street fighter um, right yeah. No, I I've, I talked about this, I forget when, I think when it first came out, how much I fucking hate these, especially because they put them in a gatefold box, and if you're going to put it in a gatefold box, then let me see right. what the f*** is behind the gatefold. Why is the there gatefold. not a window? Yeah, why is there right. not a window? I, a small window, even. Just a, a slit, something, they, so you know which version you got. They could have... They could have windowed the box and put a sticker seal on it, so that you could, so that you freely open the flap out of out of the shipping box and saw which cartridge you got. Okay, and also also hear me out here. First of all, I've been on the I've already been on the other side of this argument from you. I think it's I think any of these companies should be trying to give you reasons to open your box and not keep it sealed, but pretending they're not going to do that. How about this? Don't seal games that have blind box carts in them. Just let people open the box. There's no reason for it yeah. to be sealed. You're shipping it from your warehouse. It's not like it's going to be on a store shelf and someone's going to pop out the cartridge right, or something. Exactly. Just send it the unsealed. Shipping, 
the shipping box in this instance could be considered the like quote unquote sealed box that you are then opening to see the surprise element. You could not seal the box and with a shipping box still get the same experience of the like birthday surprise, right? Um, so why not do that? I, I know these companies are never going to do that because they're targeting the people who think like, oh, if I keep it sealed, it's going to be worth something one day. But uh, in terms of like giving me enjoyment, like I, I know Metal Storm is never going to be worth anything. So I have no problem opening that. But I know there are people who would be like, oh, I feel bad opening. I feel like I'm destroying value. It's like, no, you bought this to enjoy it. Just look, open it up, look at that action figure and be like, oh, okay, that's a cool action figure. So I, I know this yeah, but- is beyond the point of organic collectability. Stop sealing stupid limited print items like this. Also, are you then saying stop buying limited print, limited print run games to not open them? Because, because I mean, because you say that you know people bought Metal Storm to open it, and I would, I would hazard to guess that there is a significant percentage of people who did not buy it for that uh, reason. Yeah, I, did, I know a lot of people did wouldn't open something it. like that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I would say don't buy limited run games to not open them. I would say instead of your next four limited run games, add up that amount of money. Find a $300 real collectible game and buy that instead because for every, you know, 10 hype trains you're trying to jump on with limited red games, I guarantee if you just bought one game that's already like a top tier collectible, you'll come out better when you already have the top tier collectible rather than hoping some PS4 or Switch game 30 years in the future is going to be seen as some kind of cool thing to have. Absolutely. So should we do the math on that? Like... Or have you done the math on it already? I've not done the math on it. What math is there to do? Well, wait, wait, wait. Johnny will always War- find the math, Tyler. I've done math on one thing. I went to eBay and I searched for limited run games and I sorted by highest price because I wanted to see what the most expensive game was. And there's not like limited. It's only been, you know, how long has the company been in business? Five years. But I mean, there's nothing selling for like thousands of dollars that has turned into like this crazy cool collectible. It's all mostly stuff hovering about what it originally sold for. Yeah, I think. Yeah, the, I mean, the most, there's a few exceptions, but yeah, I think the most expensive limited run games right now are actually the ones that you could consider organic collectibles, and that's like the first one or two games that they no, did. The most expensive um, one was uh, Jack and Daxter, their limited edition one that looks like a book. It was selling for like three or four hundred dollars. Well, maybe it's yeah. just because I, I didn't. There wasn't one actually for sale of whatever one you're talking about. Yeah, so they did. So they, I don't know if, how much you know about the the backstory of Limited Run, but they were like a regular publisher uh, or a regular developer at one point. And they the the reason that they did the very first one was because the company was going under, and they genuinely wanted to preserve their digital only game for posterity. Um, and the fact that it sold out, and then the next one sold out, and so on and so forth. That's how the brand came about. So there was a time when they weren't really doing this. Uh, for the same motivations that they are now um, when they were just trying to preserve their own games for posterity. And those games uh, tend to be uh, the most expensive. Wait, so what were the first game? Was it Breach and Clear on Vita and Saturday Morning RPG? Yes. Yep. Are you telling me this whole company came because we needed to preserve Breach and Clear on the Vita? Oh, my yes. God. All right. Is Breach and Clear a good okay. game? I've never played it, so I guess I can't on it. But I've it's also never terrible. felt like... I needed to play it, but it's not. It doesn't matter. Like the the quality, of the the story is still a great story to oh, me, yeah. right? Like that that it was people just wanted. They were just proud of the work that they did, and they wanted to not see that go away. And now they've got big booby anime games. <laughs> yes. 
They sure do. <laughs> Nurse Love Addiction too. Woo! Well, and there's like, you know, there was when they had to go chase down people and be like, hey, this is who we are and like this is what we're interested in doing and like when they were in that that phase where they were going out and they were finding games to 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 do physical runs of um i think that was like the golden age as far as like the quality of the games that they were making whereas now like i have seen um business plans built in or like limited run is actually built in at launch, right? Like, or yep. at, you know, when they, during development, they're like, this is just part of our life cycle. We're going to do a digital game and then limited run is going to do the physical edition. And so it's just like there rather than like, rather than them in like a grassroots sort of guerrilla fashion going out and finding games that they love or games that they feel are important to be preserved. Now they're just literally doing everything. And, uh, the fact that there it's this constant stream of these FOMO releases. First of all, if you have fear of missing out on buying something because you think it's going to be a collectible, then that's just something that you shouldn't buy. That is a, a really big indicator that you're buying something with manufactured scarcity rather than true collectability, uh, organic collectability at least. But because there's this constant fire hose of limited print things, whether it's video games, I mean, this also happens with like records and, and clothing. There's always the next drop. Um, what are the chances that not only the specific game you buy, what are the chances that the era or the console of this limited run thing that you buy, anyone's even going to care about it in the future? If you're even going to care about it in the future, because I could tell you currently, if I had some hyper exclusive PS3 thing, I'd be like, oh, well, it's too bad it's on PS3 and no one cares about that right now. You know, the switch seems really special. It's everyone's favorite console. It's got these adorable little cases three Nintendo consoles down the line, it's just going to be another Nintendo console. I bet it's going to have a reputation for being a really bad port machine. Not not bad, but it's going to have a reputation for being a port machine. And the people who are collecting games are going to be like, well, I can get the original releases on Wii U or I could get the new Legacy Edition remaster because we live in this oh, world Tyler's where everything's remastered on every uh, everything. Tyler's come around. No. Wii U collecting so that was is not, coming back. I was just back. talking all Wii U that. Wii U is, is not going to be collectible. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment, Tyler. Wii U is back. You hear that? You heard it here first. Tyler said so. Wii U is back. Well, Wii U has Prince the same Matter. problem. Wii U has a Go bunch of them. middle uh, entries into franchises. The only thing new it has is Splatoon. Uh, I don't see that becoming the next Metroid, Zelda, or Mario. Eh, maybe but, uh, who knows like who knows if that's going to be one of their tentpole franchises guys investing in from, like, from like the esports uh from the esports angle they're trying yeah so um going back to to some of what you said first off 100 percent on holding off on this stuff if you if you fear you're going to miss out on it then you're buying it for the wrong reason because that's not a that's not something you want to do that's like you said, completely manufactured. That's not to say that if you don't like one of the games that you shouldn't buy it because you want it. Like, uh, you know, I'm completely honest. As much as I shit on Limited Run, I like Shadowgate. They released Shadowgate. I bought Shadowgate. I'm looking forward to that coming. It's not because it's some limited print of Shadowgate. I just want to own more Shadowgate in my life. That's just, it. As I'll let you keep going, Go but ahead. I just want to say like Streets of Rage 4 is currently like up there and I'm like, well, that's that's Streets of Rage. That's a big franchise. Like this might be my only chance to get it. But at the same time, it's like I'm not, 
you know, I'm not waiting for Streets of Rage 4. I'm not personally the biggest fan of that. So I'm not, if the only reason you're buying it is because the fear of missing out, then that's the problem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. That's And that's not why I bought Shadowgate. I bought yeah, Shadowgate because I like it. You know, in some series, I like to collect. So I'll buy a game. If it's a physical release for the game, I'll buy it because I like to collect for that series. But it has nothing to do with the the FOMO aspect, that more of how I collect stuff. Entirely different. But we were talking about what the values of those games. And I think I counted roughly 14, and that's not a hard number on these Star Wars games. So let's say you were buying those Star Wars games, and they're roughly $40 each. Um, and there's 14 you know, for, of them. For the and these are just the regular. Are they $60 each yeah. for the good versions? No, no. They're more like 80 for the good versions. Uh, that's $560 you could have put elsewhere. That's a good, like, solid collectible. That's a a very high tier super Nintendo game, high tier uh, NES game, for instance, you know, that's a couple of sealed games of, uh, you know, mid tier stuff, maybe, or, or low tier stuff that you can go, you could have went out and bought if you're interested in those avenues. Now, if you are buying the uh, big box edition, because this is just like the regular versions, right? The poor people versions, as Tyler said, um, the, the kind I would recommend you buy, like that's, if you don't, if you're just trying to play it, just buy that one. Don't go crazy for the shitty bad version, which is the special edition, but those are more like $80. So double that number, that 560 becomes $1,120. And what are you buying for, you know, over a thousand dollars? Like what awesome couple of games could you get at that cost rather than, than these fake rare games that don't matter and will fall off a cliff. And the other thing about these, I've seen some of these premium editions selling for less on eBay than they are on the limited run website when they released. Mm -hmm. so. I forgot who was talking. Yeah, someone just bought one for, uh, you know, like not a huge discount. It was like five or ten bucks less on one of these Star Wars special editions than the MSRP. It was it was the collector. That's uh, Chris is his name. Okay. But a, it, a, car, a comic book guy. I forget what his name is on Instagram right now. It frustrates me the people who flip these and then immediately lose money because one, yeah, you're an idiot because, but secondly, you didn't lose five or ten dollars when you sold it for five ten dollars. You got eBay fees, you got PayPal fees, you got both limited run and shipping to the the end buyer. You've got tax on two of those different transactions. Like, there's so much money that got lost. Like, why didn't you just ship that game directly to my house and then send me a twenty dollar bill with it and then? that would have been a much more efficient transaction for everyone involved. Well, and some of that is the way these games are acquired, right? Because some of these people have bought from other people who bought out of bad situations, so maybe they picked it up for less. So we can't, you can't just say that like the resellers had a problem, but also Limited Run does this thing where they say they only sell direct through Limited Run, but that's not true. So like I know stuff goes out the door at Limited Run that's outside of the production number to other people who then sell it at whatever their cost is, which is not exactly what you or I would pay. Yeah, and they they do have some brick and mortar deals where they sell directly to uh, game stores. So that's actually a pro tip there. If you're if you're uh, afraid that you missed out on a run, go ahead and check around your local game stores to make sure they don't have any. Yeah, because there's a, not a lot of stores, but there are a few that have them, and they have you know just like anybody, they have wholesaler deals. Like it's not. And that's outside of the number. So again, back to that artificial number that they try to keep their print runs low. 
This is like another way that happens. Also, they make a bunch extra in case of damages and things happen. So there's more There's more than the number implies. So, Tyler, I know you had some other like big points you wanted to make. Uh, what else do you want to talk about manufactured collectability versus organic and, and why why you should avoid manufactured collectability? So, the, honestly, the, fir- the very first point I wanted to bring up, we never got uh, to, but it's that if you're paying for scarcity on a brand new item, if, like, that's the reason the item costs a lot, the only person making, that's getting value out of that is the manufacturer. So, a $150 PC game, a mail-order version of Wolfenstein 3D, that's pretty special. You know, it wasn't in stores, people didn't keep those boxes, Apogee happens to be one of the most desirable PC publishers. Out of uh, tens of thousands of PC games, there's almost none of them that are in the hundreds. It's a very, very small fraction that's in the hundreds. And especially not just just because they're rare. There's tons of rare games that are totally worthless because no one cares about them. So when you're going to limited run games right now and you're spending $150 on Chex Quest, that's a free game that you're basically paying the price for it as if it was already a rare collectible. That is what gets me like you could go and buy. I probably not now because now they're like remaking checks quest and stuff, but for $150, I could almost guarantee you could have got the original organic collectible, a box of check cereal with checks quest in it for $150. And now you're buying this box that essentially has no value, has a bunch of tchotchkes in it, you know, stickers coins a statue a soundtrack cd enamel pins a t-shirt there's all all this stuff that costs essentially nothing from china and it's just junk that has a license you enjoy uh that doesn't give a game value honestly limited run games checks quest is what prompted this episode so that's why i'm talking about it right now also you know just so you guys know we've tied it back to more cereal because everyone wants more cereal content and and if you perfect episode johnny right and yeah we did it um we definitely didn't mess up the beginning and ruin all that stuff we we (laughs) managed the perfect episode today um the other thing back to cereal the the collector's edition of this box from limited run is like a cereal box they 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 did that so i'm curious if cereal collectors are going to be even mildly interested in this at all Mm, probably not i'm gonna say not a chance (laughs) I hope not, but it, it is in a cereal box. And they've got a, a full-scale Zorcher replica, like the Chex Warrior statue, like you said, enamel pins. Some hollow foil stickers. Now, is it holographic or is it foil? Which is it? Or are these actually holographic foils? Um, I would say holographic, but I think hollow foil has become a more popular term. But maybe they mean something different. Yeah, I don't know. Foils and magic, it's just foils. But these are foily like that hologrammy looking material but this is the thing i wanted to bring up to you just because i know this is your favorite and i'll let you rant a little bit here um can you tell me tyler was this game because they they put it like on the original uh disc or it's a usb stick that looks like a a floppy (laughs) is that is that how the game should come Uh, or okay shout out to uh, my friend and college roommate ben who looked at chex quest he's a, a big chex quest fan and he looked at this and he kind of wasn't impressed and the very first thing he said is, why the f*** is there a floppy disk? Chex's Quest came on a CD, and it's just, it perfectly exemplifies what is wrong with this, that they have these floppy USB drives, because it's just something they have laying around. I know that they had it in the Sigil uh, big box limited editions that they put out, and just like, well, 
we've got 5,000 of these USB floppy drives that look like floppy disks. So uh, I guess we're putting them in Chex Quest, even though it makes no sense because the game never came on floppy disk. So that that's yep. one thing. Yeah, that, I just wanted you to be able to call that out real quick. Yeah, this is all, if you're looking at this, guys, you should be able to see immediately with your eyes, especially on the special editions, that this is all manufactured bullshit, okay? It's the worst of the worst. And by the way, that's $150 for that item. Yeah, and they have a $40 one, but it's just like, so there, there is one cool thing. I think the Zorcher replica is cool. It's not $150 cool, but that is a cool thing. Like if there was a Funko Pop, if that was like a $10 item, like, yeah, I want the Zorcher. But I'm not going to buy because people try to be like, oh, there's there's tw 20 different items divided by this. So you're only paying like eight bucks an item or whatever. You know, there's so much stuff in here. It's like, well, it's a sticker. It, it's a it's an art book with 24 pages in it. None of this has like actual value to me besides the Zorcher thing, which looks like it might be cool. And I don't want to say that when uh, when like Infocom put out games, they would put out stuff like this all the time, like. We could put in, you know, an extra dollar twenty-five worth of stuff that makes our box seem a lot more packed. That's all the kind of stuff that we're getting in these very samey limited editions now. But I, I do want to say what I do think has value, because I don't want to just say it's impossible for any of these games to have value. I just think there needs to put there needs to be effort put into a release like this to give it value beyond just being, oh, it's limited. And so you could have a better version of a game, whether it's uh, an HD remake. Just think of like what the Criterion Collection would do. They wouldn't just re-release the existing footage. They remaster the, the film in with their 2K restoration nonsense and put out the best version of that film that's ever been on Blu-ray. They could include a documentary about the making of Chex Quest or interviews with the people who made it. They could give you a coffee table book you know, essays about why Chex Quest is important and why we should re-release it, how Chex Quest came to be. Not not a cheap art book. I don't even think this thing has an art book, does it? But something it that not. takes effort or art to put together. Like not yeah, someone made art for that poster, but I don't I don't know. It's a poster. Yep. Um don't forget that, you know, they made a vinyl soundtrack of it that you can buy as an ancillary <laughs> item that they didn't even put in the $150 version. But there is a special Chex Quest fan bundle for 217, which includes the big box edition, the cereal box edition, and the record. Okay, in case you want this that. makes me mad too because you already have a box of essentially nothing. What does that box cost? Probably twenty five dollars to put together. You're telling me for hundred fifty dollars you can't include the vinyl soundtrack, maybe the most interesting item in the box. But again. The Chex Quest, Chex Quest is based on Doom, which has like its uh, sample-based soundtrack and the MIDI soundtrack, and the high-quality soundtrack would be a MIDI soundtrack played through like a Rollin sound module, like an SC55 or an MT32, and each of those different sound modules has a different sound. So you can't put out the definitive Chex Quest soundtrack because there's going to be different soundtracks depending on what kind of audio hardware you had. And if you if you're listening to the version that all the poor people without MIDI modules were listening to, then that's not the best version of the soundtrack. So why? There's no reason for this to be on vinyl. Johnny, this makes me this is the worst game to have a soundtrack for. All right. Well, glad glad we did it. Um, that made me also, yeah, I, I feel 
more attracted to you than I ever have. Oh my, uh, that's weird. I so um, I played Chex Quest. Uh, the last time I played it was probably like three years ago. But I it was the first game that I played after like specifically importing a four hundred dollar PCI card from Poland that would let me use my MIDI sound modules. So uh, I got that perfect Chex Quest audio, Johnny. Nice. Um, also, I just want to call out that the soundtrack, like, I don't know what they were going for here, but like the record, it, it looks more like an Ego waffle than a Chex, um, <laughs> to me anyways. Uh, also, I have a problem with the way people bundle things now. And this is like, again, part of that manufactured, like this collector's bundle. There's nothing about this bundle that makes it collectible. There's no special box set. This is just all three of the pieces that you could buy individually smashed together in one skew yeah there's no special box to go in there's no discount on the price so like that's another thing that these people who do manufactured scarcity do now they create fake bundles full of garbage stuff like uh skybound if uh you look at any of their stuff like um not any of it but some of the stuff they did they had like the shit they threw in their special edition box didn't throw the games in there and then it was just stuff you could buy from the store and if you just pieced it all together you'd be paying the same exact price but instead you bundled and accidentally bought a bunch of dumb shit you didn't want because it, it's like garbage oh i've got that sticker no you paid five dollars for that sticker because it was in the bundle and also in the store and they're just adding skews up so be wary of fake bundles especially bundles that aren't even all bundled together in one box. So if, if it's no an item that. that you would take out of the box and go, huh, that's neat. And then put it back into the box. It has no value. It's it's not more collectible because that it's there. Nope. Uh, you know what? You know what part of big boxes I like the best? Uh, the, the box. The box. I mean, the Chex yeah, Quest box, box is cool. Like, I, I don't think Chex Quest is bullshit. I think the price is crazy. I think people will buy it because they'll think it has value in the future. But uh, there, there are at least a couple things cool about it. One being the box and the other thing being the Zorcher. Also, like, why wasn't the cereal box just the definitive edition of this? Like, instead of doing this big box one, like, why not package a, a different box? Like, the coolest version is definitely the cereal box. Why make people jump through the hoop? I understand they're trying to make money here, but, like, the price up is so f high it goes from forty dollars to 150 it's asinine when they do stuff like this i don't know i think it's because they know they can get it again i know we're harping on this i don't think this is the worst release because checks quest while it is a game that was out there there technically was never like a retail release where you could buy it even though you could literally just go download it if it's not freeware it's very easy to find oh and also i know that uh, they went through a lot of effort to get the rights for it uh, I know that it's been in the works since at least 2017 where, and they have unsuccessfully tried to get the rights to make checks quest for an April fool's joke in the past, because not only do they need like the developer rights, they need, you know, whoever general mills or whoever makes checks. And they're probably just like, what you want to put out an old, I don't, what are you talking about? Stop it. We have billions of dollars of cereal to sell. So, uh, you know, it is cool that they got the rights to this, but it also is checks. Yeah. You know, I, you know, we we harp on limited run a lot and it's because they're the biggest offender and they are they are helping proliferate this model so we want people to be incredibly wary of of manufactured scarcity because you have companies like limited runs again at the forefront pushing this idea and they they even do some dirty shit like puts like stickers and stuff on you know banners on the website forever physical and stuff when a lot of that is f***ing nonsense, especially the Star Wars releases, they were already physical f***ing releases. <laughs> Stop saying forever physical. <laughs> like, f*** you for that. Like, uh, and like what Tyler was saying, like, put something cool in there. 
you know, a steel book is cool, but again, like they cheaped out. They put the Star Wars, they put it in a steel book for like uh Jedi Academy, because I really like the Jedi Academy game. So I'm like, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll look at one of those. It's a steel book, it just says Star Wars Jedi Knights in like pale blue and then giant limited run above the Lucasfilms logo. It's just one drives me insane, like because limited run is somehow more important than Lucasfilms, the people who made the game. F off on that. Just like know your or like the way you should order things uh, as far as giving respect to uh, the the people you're using it makes me crazy, man. It, they're so they're so egregious that it is uh, upsetting for all of us. I'm just gonna disagree with you on one thing. There, limited run is not even close to the worst defenders. The worst defenders are modern game publishers like EA and Ubisoft who think that Watch Dogs Legion needs a standard edition, gold edition, ultimate edition, and collector's edition. Uh, and they're Fair so enough. not collectible that we don't even think about it because that's how worthless all those like big statue editions are. Yeah, no, you're right on that point. Uh, I was talking more to targeted specifically at retro game collectors, mm -hmm. right. which is what limited run is. Like they're really, I mean, they do have crossover market, but you are right. The EAs of the world, like, you know, uh, how many... What what is it? Um, God, the NBA games on the Switch where there's like the Legendary Edition, the Regular Edition, the Special Legacy Edition. Sign like it, it is. Uh, it's really gross. And you are 100% right about that. The the statue phenomenon is what you know has put me off of doing sets for modern games. It's not even necessarily the the size of the the uh, the library. It's how many ridiculous games got big box collectibles you like i i have seen someone that did a xbox 360 set with all of the like premium collector's editions and you just it just looks like a GameStop, and it's just like Ugh. um plus like wh where the hell are you gonna put all that but uh, is, is that just because of our age are there gonna be people you know in 2050 that are like man i wish my house just looked like a GameStop. Instead of like us right. being like, oh, we want all the signs. We want our house to look like Funko Land. You have a Funko Land sign in your game room. Yeah, I do. Uh, I don't know. But I mean, the the thing is, is I mean, it's going to come down a lot to space, right? Because, you know, a, even like a complete PS1 set or a complete PS2 set, while that is a lot of real estate, it pales in comparison to the to the the next generation where they really just amped up the statues and uh, and the big boxes and the hey this you know the notices that say hey you know the game's not even in here go download it and here's your gigantic fucking fallout box it's uh you know it's it's going to command like such a space premium like a, a 360 set with all the the statues and shit would take up half my game room like that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, to to piggyback on that. So Stefan, uh where my Dreamcast set is, I could fit like of the large uh special editions I have for Xbox, I could not fit them there. Yep. In the space <laughs> my Dreamcast set takes up, I could not fit one rock band uh complete kit in that spot. Yeah, I think the, um, the drum set would be bigger, right? Uh-huh. Uh, if we're looking at my PS1 set and like you're like, well, Dreamcast isn't a very big set. Let's talk about uh, PS1, 1,300-ish games almost, you know, uh, more if you count the um, the greatest hits. Uh, I could get maybe 10 special editions, 10 to 20. I mean, maybe generally I could get like 40 in there of the smaller ones or just the steelbooks, but like the big box with the statues, the Duke Nukems and all that of the world and the giant Final Fantasy boxes. Maybe twenty to forty in that spot. Yeah. 
rather than 1300 games right well you know yeah. what the game companies are doing us a favor especially us with like the brain squirrels that we need to have full sets of everything because that gives us a very clear cutoff of where it becomes suddenly very undesirable to want to collect a certain console mm-hmm. well and also like it, it makes it back to what we were talking about the trough of no value right those items are going to have a lot harder time pulling out of the u and going coming out the other side so i think that's the interesting part so they're going to have a harder time i think i don't know what would spark interest in them again but you know what in 30 years if you have a, a batman arkham city 100 percent complete in box with the statue and everything and you hadn't thrown it out while it was completely worthless like maybe someone would eventually be interested in that. That's what well, I think. No, is- I, uh, there are going to be some, right? But not all of them. That bet everything oh, got. Yeah. Like I, I don't know how many people are going to be cl- clamoring for that f-ing Fable Three that looks like a book in twenty years. Maybe maybe there will be a, a large push on it. But th- like that's the thing. When every version of it is also a special edition. When you make like when half of your or a third of your run of the game is special editions, then it's not special. Right. Right. Like if you made a hundred thousand special editions, that's not special. Or uh, video games that come out uh, and now they put day one edition at the top of the case. And it's like the majority of the cases out there say day one edition on it. So what does it even mean? Well, I mean, I, I feel that way about first prints too. Like, well, that that's uh, that's some nuance that video game collectors have not parsed yet. Right. That the more limited version the more rare one, so to speak, might be the one that's more value. But I guarantee like most of the greatest hits and like, um, you know, players choice games saw a smaller print run than uh, the day one or first print ones. Right. I mean, all of them. So why aren't those the right? So why isn't that the more valuable? Because that's really the more limited one to have. Because it's garbage. Because the first (laughs) the first run you do is usually your biggest run. Right. Well, that. Rarity is not value, Johnny. That's why. I well, and we we've said that before. Yeah. Like, but that's a that's a thing that might get parsed later one day. Like as as the hobby gets more nuanced, that's something that I think people will start to look at. I don't think collectively the hive mind will accept it, but I think people will start to notice it at least a little more. Yeah, that is also something that I wanted to bring up, uh, just as sort of a pro tip that if if. If the edition side, if you are looking at these manufactured collectibles and as an investment proposition, or you're looking into the into these as uh, you know you want to pick some up, if the edition number is listed, pay attention to that because a lot of these quote unquote collectibles, it'll be like, oh, this is a, the limited edition. Here's the certificate, and it was out of an edition of twenty five thousand. That's not in any way, shape, or form limited. Like that is larger than a lot of regular print runs for a lot of games. So just understand that, like you know, if if something, if you have a certificate, if it's set, or if you can easily find out what the edition size was, then like even a even a manufactured rare collectible, if it's out of five hundred, that's gonna be a better investment or a better bet for investment uh, than something manufactured out of twenty five thousand. I th- there's a subjective thing to that on on what is rare kind of uh there is a point where you can limit something enough to where it's definitely cool um elemental gear bolt assassins case was an e3 promo i think there's easily less than 100 of them let alone how many are accounted for and that's seen as the holy grail of ps1 collecting 
there's a ton of other circumstances about that, like it being a working designs thing and the fact that it's super cool. Um, but even a thousand or 500 could still be a lot if it's uh, a game that nobody wants, if it's, you know, some anime game on limited run game. So it's all down to the demand on things like that. Sure. Well, and you bring up an interesting point, right? Because you're talking about who did it, right? Working designs. You're talking about other elements that, you know, go into the soup, so to speak, that make something desirable. So you have to look at those other factors. Like, it, you know, is Check's Quest maybe the most desirable? I don't know. A lot of people are apparently into it, but a lot of these games that get pushed out that you've never heard of because they were just digital things with special editions, maybe people don't have or care about that. Maybe there's nothing pushing behind it. Whereas something like Star Wars has a lot of crossover potential, or if it was like a Disney special edition where you have other collectors who are going to come in from other markets and be looking at it, Mm -hmm. uh, which will provide, like you have to look at what factors outside of just game collectors uh, or within game collectors are going to drive the demand later. So that's working design. People collect working design specifically. That's driving the value. You know, Disney, People are Disney collectors who will come in and have nothing to do with video games. They're like, I'm buying this because Disney. Comic collectors, same kind of stuff. If it's a comic book property. These are the kinds of things that you have to like put in your brain when you're thinking, do I actually think this will, like, is this going to be manufactured and stay that way and be gross forever? Or might it actually make it out the other side? If, you, if you're looking to speculate, these are the kinds of things you have to to think about and that's why i asked you about the cereal box do you think any of these cereal box collectors are going to look at this and be like hey that's a cereal box maybe i should come over here and try and get that i don't know if you're gonna not that i want to give speculation advice on collector's quest if you're gonna speculate i would say never do it on modern games is the way to do it i don't care what's coming out oh absolutely absolutely but i'm just talking after you're you're thinking about yeah Yeah, speculate on those you're all gonna be millionaires Yeah, that's those are much better buys. But I'm talking about if you're just if you're buying it and you're thinking about what comes out the other side, uh, because, you know, before you guys were even on the podcast and you heard me say I'm an opportunistic buyer, like sometimes I'll look and be like, oh, how'd you get that deal on that thing? How'd you know to buy that? And it's not because, uh, you know, I'm a genius or because uh, somebody told me something. It's because I sat down and I thought about, okay, well. Is this going to, how's this going to look on the other side? I I think about the other factors that come in and I'm like, if I've ever seen it, like, what do I know? I, I apply all those other things to the formula. It's not just like, oh, well, he's just so well-versed in video games. He knows. No, I like, I applied everything I've learned through this and then I've bought opportunistically. Johnny, uh, that's not true at all. You bought it because you buy literally everything. So when something happens to become cool, you're just like, oh, look at me. I already happened to own that, huh? No, that's not true. I I I know. You have things like your Game Boy things and uh, where you don't have full sets yet. I know. Well, and there's things I eventually got around to doing sets with that I was not doing sets with when I bought opportunistically. Or I bought sets because I had an opportunistic buy, which enabled me to do it later, right? And not being trapped yeah. by like the financial hill that is most of those games because I already got like some of the best stuff out of the way because I was thinking right uh, in the in the beginning and not uh, you know coming in when video games are all hot and a million dollars and gonna bankrupt me if I try and buy everything. Not the Wii U. You can get Wii U not games Wii U. for nothing. Everybody invest. It can't go down I'm any t- further. T- <laughs> 
Get on That's the Wii U hype train. Best, Show uh, me investment advice. It can't get any worse than this. Well, I mean, I'm 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 uh, piloting that Wii U hype train. Let's uh let's go. I'm the conductor and the engineer on that. Uh, put in that uh, train sound and the whistle right now, please, Tyler. And uh, all on board the Wii U hype train. Nintendo Sega Saturn. Choo choo. Are we over? Uh, are we over PS2 then? Are we not uh, hype training? Are we not? No, are we not going to do a? Stefan, you need a goal no. that you can't buy all in one transaction. You need something to no, work on. I... Go buy PS2 games. No, see, that's I just ha... what that is. Is just challenging me to find someone that I can buy the entire PS2 set. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I uh, I had an idea. Like I I was going to take down the Genesis wall, and I was going to start putting PS2 games there. And, uh, like this was an idea that I, I had floated very briefly and then I was like, ah, I want to talk to you guys more about it. Like I wanted us to collectively do the, the set as the podcast, like no one has to go in and buy like any of the big expensive stuff, but like when you find bulk $3, uh, or $2, like PlayStation games, if it's not on our, our like podcast list, uh, put it in there. And then I was going to allow listeners to donate games, not like that we're asking for free games if we did this, but like like a $10 or less game that you probably found in a lot that really only cost you a dollar. Send it to us. I'll put your name in it. And then if we ever complete the set, like I'll uh, take everyone's, you know, I'll record everyone's name and what game they sent and do a thing. That was an idea I had. I don't know if we'd ever do that, but I thought that would be like a cool background to like when we record just having the PlayStation uh, or pseudo- PS2? PS2. PlayStation 2. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, like getting that and and like for the PS2, you know, I have like most of the heavy hitters already out of the way. So I would put those up and like start stockpiling. And you, you know I, what I always uh, this, this, anytime we, we talk about this, it, it reminds me of the conversation that Johnny and I had. There was before like you two aggressively trying to get me to to collect PS2. There was a day that I came up to Johnny and I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing the PS2 set, and you told me no. You said absolutely not. You steered me <laughs> away from that. And, well, uh, you also and had that, other that, things to do. That could have been your moment, Johnny. That could have been uh, your moment. If you had spent that money, you may not have been in the position to spend the money on the stuff you were currently spent your money on, which turned out into a much better proposition. So all I'm expecting to hear from you is thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to uh, I want to clarify for our listeners that uh, I think the PS2 is a cool set to collect. I actually I want to buy more PS2 games. I don't want to uh, I don't want the set. I just want to get like the good stuff, basically. But uh, I'm not making fun of the PS2 and I'm trying to get you to collect it. I do think it's an interesting set. You guys want to do the PS2 set for the podcast? Come on. Buy both. No, games that sounds me. too much like e-begging, even if we're e-begging for Madden 2002s. I don't like it. If if Metal Jesus Matt, did it, no. I'd be like, really? He's asking his listeners to fill his wall with PS2 games? How no, stupid is that? No. What's he want next? $50,000 for a road trip? Yeah, no. <laughs> I was talking about, like, if the... Not the whole set. Like, I wouldn't put it on our listener base. Like, you, they would be limited to, like, one game. You could send in one game if you wanted to be part of the, the thing. I, we would do all the heavy lifting. That would just, like... Be part of the community. Send us your one dollar PS2 game. Send us game. your listener feedback if you think that. So the, the the sadder part would be if we did that and then we got like three games over the course of five years. Well, I mean, <laughs> but see that, but we would still be buying in the interim, right? To fill in the set. That's that's uh, are you? It not, sounds like you just I mean, want an excuse to collect more PS2, Johnny. 
yep, that's it. Okay. I mean, I don't need much of an excuse to to buy things either, right? Like, it's not like I'm shy on buying things. We we make fun of old Stefan for doing that, but it, you know, I I have <laughs> some pretty <laughs> I have some pretty healthy buying habits of my own, right? Uh, it's not like I've ever shown a stack of like over a hundred games and been like, well, this is what I did today. What'd you do? I don't know if Tyler's ever done that. Didn't you just do that? Like twice, like over over three months, right before your wedding, Tyler, what did did I do? Like bought like a hundred games. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, black Friday was black Friday. Yeah. I know. What can I do? Not buy them. Uh, they were too good of a deal. I was, I was being, a. Whatever the word, opportunistic buyer. Okay, see there you go. Piper. Anyways, is, Piper is dying to say hello. Say hi, Piper. Hi, Piper. Piper. You want to say hi? You want to say hi in the mic? Hi. Yeah. What's your favorite I, video game? She can't hear us. You're wearing headphones. That's right. Doc McStuffins. Doc McStuffins. Yeah, that's what she's playing right now on her tablet. She oh. brought me. I have been playing Doc McStuffins for the last ten minutes because she asked me to. <laughs> What's the name of this game? It sounds like you're saying something Steffens. Doc, Doc McSteffens? Doc McSteffens? Stuffins. Oh my god, you're the worst. Oh my god. Stuff, is this like a some... stuffed animal. Oh my god, okay. That's cool. It's a popular children's <laughs> television show. All right. So, driving us back to where we were, that was just a speculative post. Tower, you made it sound gross, and I didn't like that. Um, I don't like what you did there. You made it. You made me feel icky about it. And how dare you ever quote me to Metal Jesus, guy, <laughs> guy who refused to monetize. No, no, no. Metal Jesus you. did that. I would no, be making fun of him no, on no, this no. show. Tyler, put it in your ass because I, I refuse to monetize this podcast. What are we on? Like year five now or four? Forever. And like now we start talking like, oh, maybe I'll do something like this. Refuse to do it. Wouldn't take sponsorships. Wouldn't take handouts when they're offered I'm to like, me. And we, now you're like, giving you you're 150 gross, episodes of content. You sending us a copy of Madden 2002. We're asking too much. Yeah. Make me feel gross about it. How dare you? <laughs> That's funny. Jerk. That's funny. All right. Um, okay. Do you have more to say about this? Or are we closing this topic out? Uh, we can close the topic. Uh, let's close with just one question, Johnny. What's the sure. what's the coolest GameCube collectible in kind of like the main GameCube setting up and super weird? Ooh, I mean, personal opinion or yeah, just like personal a- opinion. Actual. Hmm. Let me think about the GameCube set. Well, I'm very partial to the Metroid Zelda combo, even though I think it's ugly and it's got a lot of problems with it on the layout and how they've organized things. Um, but it is Metroid Prime and Zelda, which is like pretty hot. Okay. Okay, Johnny, I'm going to stop you right there because you fell into my trap. That's exactly what I thought you were going to say. Why is that collectible, Johnny? Because it's it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't a limited edition. It wasn't anything like that. It was a budget pack-in. But yet, it's one of the most collectible GameCube things, because that is organic collectability. What a capstone! Oof. I'm dropping the mic. We're done with the episode. That was it! We, we have more to do, Tyler. I'm coming yes, back! Thank, thank you for saying the exact thing that I wanted to make an example of, John. You're welcome. I knew what you wanted. I was gonna. I was gonna say Pokemon Box. Does that fit into your argument too? No, because you're just speculating on Pokemon Box. You want yours to be worth the million dollars one day. 
I mean, that's not what did you pay? You paid like six hundred dollars or something for your Pokemon box, and yeah, now no, a that... regular complete box copy goes for like something more than that. No, that one was. I mean, so I had just I come came up on the the hills of uh, the heels of a. Uh, I basically cleaned out my garage earlier that day um, and sold off a bunch of stuff in bulk to a to a game store. Um, and uh, so I think it was I think it was nine hundred dollars, but that was for a sealed graded copy. Yeah. And I don't I don't want to throw you under the put you on the spot with giving out prices. I just want to say that Game Value Now currently has a complete copy of Pokemon Box at eight hundred dollars. And that pro- that price definitely includes ones that don't have the outer box factored in and ones that don't have the memory card factored in. So uh, what a buy, Stefan. It is spiking. Yay. Freaking Pokemon that's like, box. That's the story yeah. of my life. Overpaying at the time to then sit on it and then watch the price go way. Uh, let's go look up complete in box price of SOS on the Super Nintendo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Except for that game. Well, and, and to be fair, Stefan did call me before that and asked me what I thought about that buy. And I thought that would be fine. <laughs> we talked about we talked about the Pokemon box buy. Yep. Speaking of Pokemon box, game GameCube in general kind of on fire with a bunch of stuff right now, right? It's like on its weird like second or third spike, right? Because it spiked and then spiked again. Now, now people are hot and bothered for it one more time. Uh, Disney sports basketball is currently the most expensive uh, single game. I guess Pokemon Box is a it's single game. It's been that way for a while. Is it like, what? That's crazy to me. That is crazy. Rally Championships on a tear, too. That's what I, I made a, an Instagram thing about that because I thought that was funny. That uh, that slot car game, which was the, the last game I needed, that slot car game went on a run right after I bought it. Well, that's because you bought it. So once you buy it, uh, obviously it goes on a run. Right now it's at $118. Yeah, I paid $10 for it. <laughs> uh, it. All this stuff is like the past two months. Past two months, there's been huge spikes on a lot of things, which I don't understand because I would have thought coronavirus would have the opposite effect. But uh, yeah, well, maybe it's going to well, take a let's... while. Let's let's uh let's do just like a quick market thing. Let's talk about where we are. Okay, so as much as I hate dating these episodes, it's important in these parts. So this is uh April, mid April, April eighteenth ish. Whoa, hey Piper. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the market has been weird, right? So what have you guys seen? Because I've seen games going up, and I've seen all the major sites having super bad data on major sites, video game price charts and game value now having yep. bad data, but eBay prices going up. Yeah. Is this what you guys are seeing as well? Yeah. Uh, almost everything, like anything that I'd be interested in as a collectible, a lot of it has gone up in the past two months. And then uh, one thing I've noticed specifically today, in fact, a lot of games that have any kind of name recognition uh, specifically on NES, because that's what I've been looking for, like freaking Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and like Rambo games that no one cares about, except that they're a recognizable property. Like they've all spiked up and not that they were worth anything to begin with. But when you go from, you know, $15 to $30, that's that's a huge spike in terms of like overall value for a game that's been worth nothing forever. I have a I have a hypothesis on the high end as to why the high end is actually going up right now, too. And that is that, and I'd mentioned it the last podcast where the trend I was seeing was not necessarily, you know, things going on fire sales, but that items that would not normally be readily available are because people are now letting them go at competitive prices, but they are letting them go. So I think maybe the high end is getting 
a little higher because these games that you don't normally see or these items that you don't normally see, there's now one on eBay and people are like, oh, f I don't know when the next time I'm going to see that is. Um, so uh, I I'm actually bidding on one, right? I'm bidding on one of those right now that both of you, both of you are very aware of the one that I'm, that I'm bidding on right now. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I haven't seen that object in uh, two years, three years. Um, and then so when now one has come up because you know, allegedly because, you know, people are opening their collections up for uh, for sale right now. Um, so I think I think maybe maybe people are like, oh, my God, this is the opportunity, because now when the pandemic is over, this isn't going to be for sale anymore or I'm not going to see another one in 100 years. So I think there's a little bit of like of FOMO fire there on the top end where I didn't think the top end was going to be selling as much, but, but it seems like those, you know, exceptionally rare things that aren't normally available that are now available are selling at a premium because people are afraid that they're not going to see one again for a while. That is my hypothesis. I'm not, Stefan, based on the way this object, notice how you said object and not game because you don't collect games. We know, uh, based <laughs> on how it is presented, I'm going to say that the owner of this currently is not one of the high end guys who, uh, I would say everyone else who owns this is probably a high-end collector, but probably not this particular <laughs> gentleman. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, respect. we'll talk about it next episode when you have it in your uh, possession. Hopefully. If, yeah. if. Um, yeah. When does the auction close? Like a couple days? I think it's like three days. Okay, so we won't, we won't say too much. I mean, there's no way I'm going to edit it, uh, the show in time, but just to be safe. Yes. Yeah, I was like, if you're putting this out on Monday, then we are in trouble. I don't want to. <laughs> but um, all right. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to see if you guys had kind of seen that movement too. I, I'm unsure. I don't know if people are like got their stimulus check and they're like, let's spend all that money. I, I'm not seeing a stimulus check, so that's not something. Well, uh, and and the people who I'm already, ever worried about. It, I aside from the people who had direct deposit already set up, like I went through H&R Block and got a physical check cut, so I didn't have that already set up. Um, so the people who are waiting for physical checks are still waiting. Like there's so like, I don't know that, um, the stimulus check has a ton to do with it right now because it's, you know, these, this like upward momentum has been going on for, um, you know, a little bit. So uh, I don't know that, um, that the stimulus, like, I think maybe we will see another spike when people are genuinely getting their stimulus checks. But like the earliest I've even heard of people getting a direct deposit was like two days ago. All right. Even stuff that you wouldn't expect to be like hot going high. Like I was looking at some GBA boxes because GBA boxes are the hard part to find. The carts usually aren't that big a deal. And there was some somebody who had some like fairly nice condition box and manual and poster and all the inserts, but no carts, which is like kind of perfect. Like, okay, yeah, great. I'll, I'll look at those. But they went super high. They went higher than they've I've ever seen them gone for box only. Like against like fairly decent copies that were complete on eBay and they were hitting around the same price as the complete copies. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know if people are in like a bidding fever right now or what, but prices are, uh, prices are weird right now. And I, I don't know what people wrong. are doing. Like intuitively we'd be like, Oh, well, you know, 10% of people are out of work. Coronavirus. Everyone's scared. Game prices are going to go down. But what if like six months from now, it's just like, Nope, we're, <laughs> New tear, new bubble for video games. We're all just going up in price and everyone was wrong. Well, that's what happened during the housing crisis. It's not like if you look like through 2007 through 2009, it's not like games tanked. That was when we talk about when the spike was. 
So that, I, that's well, a different situation because I, I feel like games are already so low that it's not like they could have gone much lower. I I agree, but you also have this new base of people that are in game collecting, right? So if they are also opportunistic buyers and you have people set like like as Stefan was saying, just bringing stuff into market that wasn't there before, you might just see these like artificial rises. Also, it doesn't take too many sales to push the average cost of a game up. hundred percent. Yeah. The yeah, games so, don't like uh, a limited run game can sell 5,000 copies at once, but the average NES game sells like a copy a week. Yeah. So that's like, again, be wary of both of your major or all three data points, right? ESP, ESP, eBay is uh, thinking about ESPN because I miss sports and I should be like in <laughs> that, basketball that playoffs right so now. That felt Johnny. You were just like, I miss it's, sports. I, I do. Uh, I, well, it's like I just keep thinking about it should be like basketball playoffs like right now and I should be like thoroughly invested and like agonizing and losing sleep over the Lakers and like the one game they lost that they shouldn't have. And like, is that going to matter? I should be in that space right now. Um, and I was looking forward to being there because the Lakers haven't been there in a little while and it was, it's been a little dry. Um, anyways, get myself off topic. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm lost now. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Oh, I got to save Johnny just, here. Yeah. I just, and, uh, now I'm thinking back. about basketball. <laughs> from his basketball tangent where i don't even remember how we got off on it uh guys what are you buying and what are you playing johnny no i can't do it too sad oh man Stefan, what are you buying and what are you playing johnny is off in a lost space right now uh playing um i actually haven't played some stuff recently um i mean i'm still pretty you know, boredom i think has drug me back to uh world of warcraft a lot um, but also I played through the Final Fantasy VII remake, or actually I'm not, I'm not all the way done with it. I am close to done with it. Um, but, uh, that's been taking up a lot of my time. Um, buying, I, um, I bought this weird lot recently <laughs> that, um, so, uh, you know, I, and if you listen to my, um, my, oh God, what do we call them? Side quests? My side quest, side quest number two, if you go back and listen to that about uh, social strategies, uh, I talk about sometimes um, buying something to open up uh, more opportunities. Like if you ha if you think that this person has something or will eventually have something that you're really after. As if after. this wasn't an opportunity you're about right. to talk about. Sure, <laughs> but, like, but like having these initial buys that you wouldn't maybe necessarily buy into uh, in order to open a door to that relationship. Um, so I did that, I, 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 but this, this lot is just like, completely all over the place. So I have like 5,000 Pokemon cards and a bunch of sealed like Game Boy pocket carrying cases. And like, I don't know, what else is crazy? A, a Virtual Boy kiosk head. Um, what a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of loose NES games with manuals, but then also a bunch of like CIBs that are pristine. Like it looks like someone just took the shrink wrap off them and then put them on a shelf. And please send your doubles to me so I don't have to deal with eBay. <laughs> for sure and just to be clear when you say 5,000 Pokemon cards there's so many like complete garbage lots of 5,000 Pokemon cards you pulled like three Charizards out and they all look like PSA 9 condition like they all look amazing yeah they're, they're, there's some fire in there too um, but uh, but yeah so there's just I'm, I'm 
a lot of my free time has been just like sorting through this ridiculous lot and just so like i will uh it was four large boxes but uh i just looked at the the like the weight of the boxes so it was basically 180 pounds of miscellaneous stuff that i bought jesus um, christ so uh so i have been uh sorting through that lot uh recently that's been that was my big get um other than that um what did I buy? Oh, uh, I hadn't talked about it before, but that um, I, I've I've newly been able to talk about it as as the uh, as the arrangement from the seller uh, allows me. But uh, there was a uh, Nintendo Power Mario stand up uh, magazine rack. I was going to say standy. He's not really a standy. He's made out of like uh, injection molded plastic. But uh, but this really cool uh, Mario Nintendo Power magazine rack. Uh, I think I've only seen three of them in the wild. Um, so that's really, really cool. Um, I feel like I bought stuff that I'm not remembering right now. Um, I don't think I've talked about... I, I bought a, a fourth uh, uh, World of Nintendo cabinet recently. I don't think I ever talked about that. I, th- I feel like we've brought that up on the show. If not, I've... I've talked in all caps about it to you on Facebook, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh... God, I hope you move to an apartment one day and have to downsize all that, and I could just bring a U-Haul across the country. This is... What is wrong with you? I hope I hope things go so tragically wrong that you have what? to move no. out of your house and move into a <laughs> tiny know, some apartment. some people so like living in the city, Johnny. They don't do it because they're poor. Tyler says <laughs> like that all the time. All the time. All the <laughs> time. If you move to Manhattan, that would be an increase in standard of living by most people's standards. Tyler. That's what I meant. I don't know what it is like in your in in Simi Valley. I just know there's fires all the time. Maybe there's less fires where they have high rise buildings, and you go into the city and get coronavirus. Oh my God, yeah. Stefan! I hope you never sell your house. Oh my God. No, I can't imagine ever moving. But yeah, that that big lot of just like miscellaneous Nintendo stuff. Uh, it was my was my big 180 pounds of Nintendo stuff. That was my big get. Yeah, I guess that's like some stuff. Some stuff. 180 pounds yeah. of stuff. You know, you know, no big deal for a baller. It, it was just a it was just a feeler. <laughs> I just wanted to break the ice with this uh, this seller by buying all this amazing stuff, so I can get his real good stuff. You know, I wanted to break the ice by buying 180 pounds worth <laughs> of his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a person. That's a whole person worth of stuff. Yeah, that's like a generously sized, uh, you know, lady or, uh, you know, a chubby man. That's, you know, chubby man size that you bought worth of stuff. That's right. It's true. Um, Tyler, what did you buy and what did you play? Uh, I have been, what have I been really trying to buy? Like the thing, I, I really just want to complete SNES. I have no fire to do it because I'm still waiting for Hagane to show up in like really nice condition without me having to buy a complete in box is kind of getting to the point where every Hagane loose cart is just completely trashed. Or if it's not completely trashed, it has like one or two defects that makes me not want it because once a game is over like $200, I don't want it unless it's perfect because it's just, it's just not worth it. Cause it's going to be someone like me who doesn't want it unless it's perfect because if I'm spending that much money on a game, it, it should be a showpiece. So instead 
what I've been doing is uh, just going through and looking for first party Nintendo games I don't have yet, because when I don't know what to buy, one of the things I fall back on is uh, going and buying things that I think I might want one day. And one of the things I think I might want is just owning every first party Nintendo release, which I real realize is going to be impossible because there, there's like weird Japanese stuff I'll never get. Uh, but the the biggest gap I found was DS. I just I don't own any DS games for some reason. So I went through and I bought all of these garbage six dollar DS games. Like, like what? Uh, do you know about uh, Crosswords and I Crosswords do. Plus? I uh, do. First party Nintendo games, guys. Big Brain Academy. Um, yeah, Big Brain Academy Two. Did you get the variants or just standard editions? No, I don't care about the variants. Oh my god! Like those with the orange things on top. What's up with that, Johnny? Which one do I want? Tyler doesn't uh, care want, about variants. Not for DS games. I just want to check off a list. You don't want the orange banding across the top. That's uh, secondary, like Hotel Dusk. You're probably looking at too. It's got that orange banding. Are you kidding? I don't want the orange bands. No, Johnny. I wasted at least four dollars then, because my Big Brain Academy and Crosswords both have the orange band on top. And yeah, pretty, pretty. I know sure I spent a dollar ninety nine on each of those. Damn. <laughs> I think you're okay. I don't think people care yet. All right. I got all the all the Tingle games. There's three Tingle games in Japan. I didn't realize there yeah. were so many. I don't even know what they are. Uh, I have two of them. I don't have the third one though. Picross. I don't know. Anyway, all that kind. Of, nothing. Nothing like super exciting there. I don't even know why why I'm listing uh, Tingle, all these games. Tingle is like it's like Zelda ancillary. That's that's cool. Oh yeah, the Tingle ones are cool. Those are those are the only ones that were like moderately expensive. I think there was forty dollars for all three of those. The rest of these are literally like five dollar games. I got uh, I got one of the most desirable. You might have heard of this before. Black box NES games, complete hang tab. Huh? I got oh, Gumshoe, a game you might have heard of. Was in a certain Gumshoe. transaction for a million dollars recently. So uh, all time classic there. It's a good get. And then uh, the crown jewel, which I know everyone listening to this will appreciate. I bought a complete in box Nokia sixty one ninety. Uh, the first American wah, cell phone that you had wah, Snake wah, in it. <laughs> uh, it's the first appearance of Snake in America because no. I believe the Nokia 6100 uh, in whatever com- country Nokia is from Tyler. is technically the first release of Snake. Aren't you, Tyler? When aren't... you say when you say Snake, do you mean something like Solid Snake? You know, something someone cares about, or are you talking about something different that no one cares about? You know, about? Snake. <laughs> Tyler. It, it plays a lot like Nibbler, the arcade game. Um, aren't, aren't you the one who says that you have to buy it in the region it's from? Because that's the true first print from Japan, not America. Like, don't you rant like that? And then you bought the not first print? Uh, that is true. You did something so th- weird that's and why stupid, I, and then you even did it wrong. That's why I specified <laughs> that I got the first American phone with Snake on it. Um, I couldn't find... Uh, if if I could have got... The, I, I, I literally bought this because it was $10. But I couldn't find one. There, there were a couple that I found for like two hundred dollars. It's like I'm not spending two hundred dollars for a cell phone. So, well, it won't be now because you're like f-ing Tyler apologists that listen to the show are gonna go and like buy all these what, phones. Like whatever. <laughs> I I like having stuff like that. I wouldn't have bought this if it was two hundred dollars because I didn't. But I think this is neat. I think that no one else has one of these in their collection, and it only cost me ten dollars. So, why not? Because you're a weirdo. Damn it. All right, so well, that's what I got. Uh, and then I guess I've been uh, I've been playing Animal Crossing Big Shock. It's it's really bad because everyone's posting all their cool Animal Crossing stuff and me and Ada are a month behind. So everyone's stuff is so much cooler than us. 
And then, uh, guys, I've been playing RuneScape, which is uh, it's like a problem in my life. I- I've got a little <laughs> over a little over two hundred hours in my account, and when I hit this point in Path of Exile, I'd like realize that like this Path of Exile is destroying my life. Path of Exile feels like playing a slot machine. Like I'm very engaged in what's happening, and like I, I want to hit the big one. I'm leaning forward while I play. I kind of feel like I'm doing something wrong. I have like that feeling when I'm playing Path of Exile. RuneScape, I've literally sat there for six hours and like not even realized I'm playing the game because it's such a a passive lean back, slow experience. So it is uh, it's more like I don't know. It's like a creeping, lingering rot in my life rather than, you know, getting shot in the face like Path of Exile is. Yeah, Okay. on on that (laughs) note, awesome. Johnny, I did. Uh, I remembered one thing that I wanted to, to mention. Sorry, I'm also holding Piper. Uh, that I forgot that I did the other day. But um, a while ago, um, people. She's sorry. She's constantly moving my mic. Okay, I need to. I need to put you down. No. Okay. Please. All right. Um, so a while ago, you guys would probably remember there was a, a discovery of a, a data archive uh, from Sierra Online. It was a, a basically a dat tape backup of the the company's uh, digital archive uh, starting from around. Okay, well, the tapes, the earliest tapes uh, were dated 1994, but I'm not 100% sure what those um, tapes are backing up. Some of them are labeled, some of them aren't. But uh, anyway, at the time I bought, um, I'm a very big fan of the MMO called The Realm, which is an early Sierra um, graphical MMO. And uh, so I had bought a piece of the, that collection um, and just because I love The Realm. But then uh, within the last week, I had talked to that buyer and he is in no position to back up uh, the archive himself. And so I am going to be working with the Video Game History Foundation to, uh, so I, I purchased basically the entire archive from this gentleman, and uh, I am going to be working with the Video Game History Foundation to get that all backed up and and shared uh, in perpetuity. So that's the big project that I probably bit off more than I could chew that I'm going to be working on for the foreseeable future. But yeah, so that was the other really big sort of thing that happened in my life. And I, it slipped my mind because the deal closed yesterday. So, uh, but, so I'm, I'm still waiting to get those in hand. But yeah, it's uh, so far just of like executable builds that we found on CD, because there's also a bunch of CDs, burn CDs. There are three unreleased PC games. So, um, so, and that's not without digging through um, the actual DAT archive and all the unlabeled discs and et cetera, et cetera. So um, it is a, it's going to be a very large project, but both Frank Cifaldi and I are very uh, keen to get started on it and we're excited. So this is actually the first place that I've mentioned it because I, uh, I don't have the, the archive in hand yet, but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's happening and we're really excited for it. Yeah. So that's amazing. You're, uh, you know, just forgetting about the fact that you've got a huge treasure trove archive of, uh, unre- you know, potentially more than three unreleased Sierra online games, just one of the most beloved PC gaming companies. And uh, also, I bought the wrong variant of Crosswords DS, so I guess you won collecting this week, but we'll see about next week. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I, don't even get to com- I don't get to compete. Yeah, uh, you probably don't get to cool. compete. You no, should tell not... the uh, 
did you tell the uh big box pc gaming group about that on facebook uh, there's probably a i don't know if there's a more knowledgeable no big i want to i'm, group, I'm but... waiting until i have it in hand so i can like really take it because the photographs i have are like and like the the footage of the games that i have is like uh like a potato phone oh like a nokia 6190 no it's like but it's like he's like he's like it's not an, an actual capture like he's just uh, filming a monitor so um so i'm just i'm just waiting until i have it in hand and i can actually take some quality uh photography of what we have and and we're going to do like a big announcement with the uh, video game history foundation and stuff so um so yeah i haven't really i haven't really spread it too much but uh i will have it in hand by the time this podcast goes out so nice yeah. that's amazing orange, orange, orange. and piper right. really wants an orange all right, go get her an orange. Man. She's <laughs> gonna, hungry. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm not going to win collecting this week either, so no worries, Tower. Also, your Tingle games are Tingle's Rosie Rupee Land, uh, Balloon Trip, and Balloon Fight. Oh, Those Balloon are Trip tingles. and Balloon Fight are different games? Yes. And they came Balloon... out in their own cases? What? Yeah, I. it's like very okay. confusing, but yeah. Balloon Trip is the one where it's like kind of pink and it looks like Tingle's dancing. And mostly it's like a Japanese title. So I don't know if that translation is, is solid. Oh, oh, it's not it's not Balloon Trip from Balloon Fight. Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot more sense. It, one of them I know came out on the eShop and I know another one's an RPG. Anyways, uh, what did I buy? Um, well, I bought some GBA boxes, which I, I don't have yet. Um, so hopefully they arrive. I bought, uh, let's see, did I buy anything cool? Oh, I bought Castlevania 3 without the 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 big sticker oh. or about without the label i finally bought that i so, want see i want one with the badge see i like that's the first print but the box art just looks cleaner without the badge so please get oh, that ugly yeah get that ugly ass badge out of here i want both i don't th- see i don't think you have to choose when there's something like this where there's like a you know the first one and the better one you know just get both that's the I, thing to do well that's what i did i i mean i already had the first print and so i bought this uh i finished our lego harry potter minifigure collection because it was a few of the older ones we were missing to to finish my wife's uh, lego minifigure wall so that's exciting i bought some nest manuals i was missing some super nintendo manuals yeah who's uh, up for uh, a darkwing duck manual yeah yeah who wants that no mm-hmm. one uh monster in my pocket I, I, honestly the darkwing duck's probably one of the hot nes games right now because it's a, a big licensed property so yeah well i, I bought the manual because mine for some reason was missing it monster in my pocket remember i had monster in my pocket and then i finally got the figure yeah well i had some like weird printed manual like it was a it, but it's not like a printed one it was like a weird card that was also a manual like a it looked like a library card or like a, a three by five like note card kind of manual but it was printed um so i've got that weird thing so i bought a regular manual like a rental case manual kind of but not really but yeah i don't know it was a weird one so uh i i had it erroneously marked as with a manual but when i was looking at it i was like nope so now my extra copy of uh, that has a manual in case I ever trade that for one that um, is a different color monster. That's my goal now. Find someone who wants a green monster and trade it for like an orange one. So yeah, that's uh, what I bought. Oh, and I bought JD more books because that's what I do. Um, bunch of weird books. I, I wish anyone cared about like weird kids books. Like I bought them a bunch of Cthulhu books. <laughs> that's awesome. Like, yeah, well, it's like the littlest Cthulhu is like what I bought him. And then I bought him like uh, some, you know, 
Cthulhu, like learned to read Dagon and like learned to read Call Cthulhu and they, they made it like Dr. Seuss books. This is what I read him the other night. And I was like, wow, this subject matter is, is tough for a, a 15 or 16 month old. So <laughs> maybe this isn't the best reading, but that's what we're doing. The process of reading is more important than the content. It's okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a threshold where you can get away with just about anything. Like for the longest time when uh, Piper was in uh, an infant, uh, Game of Thrones was her favorite show and she would laugh hysterically anytime someone got decapitated. Um, today that would not fly but i feel like i feel like jd is at that still at that point where you can get away with quite a bit yeah well his favorite movie he may have uh shrek may have been supplanted as a favorite i still loves it but shrek uh has moved i think to two it's it's tough to say because he's an infant but he really loves Coraline, which is like a weird dark movie for him to love yeah but it's Neil Gaiman, so he's got excellent taste, you know. So what? What do you want? Um, yeah, that and I bought him a bunch of Playmobil Ghostbuster figures and some Scooby Doo ones. Nice. What were we talking about? Playmobil? We're talking about the Playmobil collector scene. Yeah, and if you guys don't know, there's people who collect Playmobil stuff, and there's like people who redo the houses. If you type in Playmobil Victorian into eBay and then sort by highest. Like you will see some custom Victorian doll houses for Playmobil that are like eighteen hundred dollars, and it'll blow your mind that that that's something that people spend money on, or maybe it won't because you collect games, and that seems reasonable. <laughs> Anyways, I there's was just no, like, I don't I, think I, there's anyone who listens to the show who thinks Playmobil is reasonable. Like Legos are cool, but Playmobil's not. Yeah, it, well, I mean, like not even. I'm not saying it's a bad product, but it's not cool. The word "cool" does not apply to Playmobil. No, and like I bought them for JD, right? But if I'm gonna buy him Playmobil, I'm not gonna buy him the farm animals because that is super f-ing boring to me. Um, so what I instead bought him is Ghostbusters and Scooby Doo and uh, a haunted house that's like a different line. And then I bought him like there's apparently they do holiday figures and so i bought him like a vampire and a werewolf like i bought him weird monster stuff so you know this i'm really designing him to be a strange kid who's not going to make friends easily and for that i apologize if you ever hear this jd sorry dude that that's my bad it's on me (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah anyways that's it. That's why I bought. Oh, what did I play? I played some Final Fantasy VII like everybody else on the planet. Even though my time has been so limited, I've managed to uh, to get into it. Tyler, you didn't play any Final Fantasy VII? I didn't. I guess everyone who's not playing Animal Crossing is playing Final Fantasy VII, huh? Yeah, or they're playing oh, Or uh, Doom Eternal. That's the other one yep. I think people are playing a lot of. So Everyone I know playing Animal Crossing plays it like 12 hours a day. So I guess Doom Eternal is the other one too. Yeah, you're right. So, Stefan, let's let's talk real briefly, even though this episode is super f-ing long. Man, I'm cussing a lot today. I'm tired. Um, I'm going to have to bleep and bleep and bleep. I don't know why I'm dropping all these F-bombs. Uh, let's talk about Final Fantasy VII. Do you like it? I do. Um, I, I Is that because like... you're a big softie and likes things? No, I, I mean, yes. But, <laughs> uh, but I thought that I thought what I wanted was a, an exact replica of the game ported into a new engine like all these years that I was envisioning a Final Fantasy remake and what that would look like like it was just the exact same game in a new engine but they've put in so much additional content um that I I find that I enjoy that and I didn't I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did um I also love that um they have 
like a story driven uh, mode of gameplay or the or it's the way they call it classic where uh, even if you don't like the new sort of and I call it Kingdom Hearts gameplay but but because uh, that just um, immediately you have an idea in your head is what it looks like but um but that like modern final fantasy feel it does have a modern final fantasy feel but if you don't want it to they still have sort of a hybrid uh gameplay version where it sort of like does the manual attacks and blocks for you and you're just looking at your atb meter um and i i really really like that and they do that they make that accessible without shaming you it's not like the easy mode or whatever um though if you play in classic it does default to easy it does yeah but but it's not like and then they don't like to my knowledge anyway they're not like uh jipping you out of gameplay for uh you know because you're playing on easy no i i don't think so though where they'll get you is the trophies like ooh should have played it on hard but um no i i think classic mode has been uh maligned a bit just because they said it'll be like playing a a classic rpg and it's not it's a different experience so don't expect that this is the rpg experience of old if you throw it into classic mode calling it classic mode is actually i think really a bad idea because it's not classic at all that's totally false it's story mode which i'm fine i'm totally fine with that having like you want to you're looking for a more narrative driven experience i talk about that all the time i'm here for the narratives that's why i grew up loving rpgs i don't necessarily need a game to be hard to like it i'm not tyler over here i'm not a masochist i'm not like how hard is this game oh it's not hard i don't like it um not that that's (laughs) no that's not an impression of tyler that's general people in general you know the dark souls crowd talk about oh you don't play dark Souls. you know you get that kind of mumbling um but i will say there are some changes that are i'm fine with and some that i i'm i'm less inclined to like it it is not final fantasy 7 of old it is a it is as if they made final fantasy 7 today under the current structure of what people expect out of games so it's not like you're you're bound to midgar in the first one by the way, they're breaking it into a bunch of parts. So, and and Midgar in the original two was completely like, not completely, but pretty linear. You were pretty much on a rail until you got out of Midgar. So I don't want to fault it too much for feeling like it's on rails, but it is very much like on a rail. You don't do too much exploration. There are, there are rooms to find things, but um, I don't love the battle system and I'm not playing on classic. I'm playing on their, their new, I, I don't love the way magic is handled and items are handled in that. I find that because I'm looking for more of an RPG experience, like I don't get to feel like a wizard when I have to attack, attack, attack before I can cast magic. I don't, I don't like that. Um, to be fair though, I mean, it's not that I'm not enjoying the game because I, it's, it's beautiful. Like what they've done is beautiful. And they made a bunch of, uh, Stuff that, you know, was just, if you look at Final Fantasy VII, there was some, like, really cool visuals back in the time. But if you look at it today, especially on a big TV, it is ugly. Ugly, ugly, became a super ugly game, except for, like, a few of the, like, cutscenes. It's like a super ugly game. Like, Cloud is just, like, basically, like, seven blocks on top of each other. It's terrible. Uh, But... This game is a beautiful game. Like it, you know. Um, also, they made this game super thirsty. Like, and if you guys don't know what that means, it's like horny and desperate. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. So, I I don't know everybody in that game except for Cloud, who's doing the super aloof thing. Is just like, oh my god, if only we could bang. And you're just like, what is happening yeah, right now? They 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 took the like the fan implied uh, thirstiness that would that existed in the original Final Fantasy Final Fantasy Seven, and then they made it canon. 
right? Yeah, they, like, they they dialed it from one to anime. Yeah, like what... like everyone like everyone in their head was having like Cloud and Tifa bang right originally. Yeah, but but then they went ahead and like made made Cloud kind of thirsty for her. Yeah, and just everybody in general is just like, man, there's so many. It's like, um, you know, so many people are are on Cloud's jock. It's uh, it's amazing how highly everyone thinks of Cloud. Uh, yeah. So that I found like a little like it's fine, but there there's some awkwardness in that sometimes, and I don't really care. It's not like a game being a little a little sexually oriented is uh, off putting to me, or Tifa being in a really skimpy outfit the whole time is like weird for me. I, I just the the way it was executed from what I was expecting was what what I found awkward. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, Final Fantasy VII is a game like I talked about. I had the worst possible expectations going into this, so uh, getting something I'm enjoying is is a good thing for me. So I don't I don't want to like poo poo it too much, you know, like I'm hating what they've done or anything. It's just you have to be open minded though about the experience you are going to get because it is it might not be what you're expecting. And as long as you can do that, I think there's a lot to enjoy about uh, this game in a very modern take. And like I said, just the visuals and everything are are pretty amazing. So. That's uh, my take Great. on Final Fantasy VII. Though there are things that like lean too long. Like, have you been through? You're almost done. I just got through the train yard. Yeah. Oh boy, that was a slog. The train yard yeah. was a slog, and I you'd think like an area, and that's like new content too, which is one of the things I like that like all this new content is in there. But um, yeah, so uh, that part got that part was the first time I found myself going like, can can I just can I be done with this part now? Can I be done? Can I be done? Can we, can I finish? Can I finish? That's all I got. Final Fantasy VII. Pretty good. Thumbs up so far. All right. All right. I figured, hey, we, we, we very rarely get to talk about what we're playing in any kind of detail, especially when it's right. uh, of the, the hive mind. Cause normally I'm not playing anything current, but I had some serious insomnia. So I got to put some hours in. Uh, you Good, know, you know what? I know when we were talking about that, I was I was sad because when when I was talking about getting it, you were like, "Yeah, there's no way in hell that I'm gonna get to play this." So when I saw you were playing it, I was very excited for you. Yeah, it was. You know, it uh, between work and watching JD all night and all day, it's and Carly working nights sure. and working more at the hospital right now. Uh, time is pretty limited, so um, yeah. Thank you, Insomnia. I guess uh, it did make me wish I I was playing it on the switch though, because so I could lay in bed with it. That's mm-hmm. like the first time I, I've, I've felt that way about, um, final fantasy seven. I was just like, Oh God, maybe I should just, so like, I, I have to watch him on the baby monitor and make sure he's okay and stuff and kind of splits my focus a little bit, but yeah, got to play it. Tyler's off asleep right now or something. It's so late for him. He's like, I don't care about this game. I'm not playing it. Move on guys. Can we be done? Well, are we still recording? Yep. <laughs> what? Yeah, we sure are. I, you guys were talking about anime porn, I think. Yeah, okay. Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Okay. Let's end it. Uh, Jesus. Uh, yeah. All right, Tyler, where can we find you? Uh, Instagram, Video Game Sage, YouTube, um, Default Gen, Default G-E-N. And I'm not posting on forums. I think I figured out why. I think I do all my posting on forums at work because I have like four monitors and I always have a forum up on one of the monitors. And since I don't have multiple monitors at home, I don't do it anymore. Nice. So hopefully coronavirus ends soon. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, Stefan? 
Uh, I am on Instagram and Video Game Sage and YouTube as Archon1981, A-R-C-H-O-N-1981. I'm also on Twitter as Art of NP, stands for Art of Nintendo Power. If you just search for Art of Nintendo Power, you'll you'll find it. And uh, yeah, I'm Johnny underscore Iucci. That's G-O-H-N-N-Y underscore I-U-C-C-I. And you can find me on Instagram, uh, Video Game Sage. You, you could reach out to me there, but probably better to do it here. Facebook, occasionally, if you are messaging it, that is usually me you're getting. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, that's it for the show. We have talked about putting a Discord channel out. Maybe we will do that. The uh, poll came back very favorable, guys. So that might oh, be good. that might be something uh, we look into. So if you're a big fan of that idea, uh, let us know more and let me know how you use Discord and how, like, I need to know what people's expectations are there before we go go full, full force on that but i might do like a, a a mini test run with some of our biggest fans like me and stefan and tyler only our biggest fans yeah, yeah that's <laughs> definitely true yeah all right so uh that's my it. mom yeah you're she'll join I'll, your mom can be in the discord anytime she can guest host if she wants um just so you know it's open uh, all right everyone that's it for the show it's super long bye